there's no reason for us to let the dog fail because we don't know how to set up successful learning. Welcome to Learning About Dogs, a podcast for people who love learning about dogs. I am Sue McGuire, the manager of a canine behavior program at a small nonprofit animal shelter just north of San Francisco. I am the producer of this podcast, which features Kay Lawrence from Learning About Dogs. Kay is one of the most influential and thought-provoking people in the dog world. Kay has authored books on clicker training, presented at conferences around the world, and is a much sought-after presenter. Today, we start this podcast series where all good, solid teachers of dogs should start creating your ethical foundation. What does that mean and what does it look like in practice? Ooh, a rich topic, ethics, ethics, uh, your ethical Mm -hmm. foundation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It does save you a lot of arguing, doesn't it, if you have a, a strong ethical foundation? Oh, I don't know. It depends how flexible it is. So, um, I mean, ethics, where I stood ethically 10 years ago is not where I am now because I have more tools to be able to move my ethics to different ground. So, you know, you go back, if that was all you knew how to do it at that time, your ethics are based on the knowledge you have. Sometimes, though, your ethics can be so rigid that you'll actually not do something because you don't know how to do it ethically. So ethics, you know, difficult things that you probably have to do in the shelter, ethically, when is what you're doing for the benefit of the dog and when is what you're doing for the benefit of the owner? Mm-hmm. My Tricky, tricky yeah. questions. Which comes first? Yeah, depends. Well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So ethically... A training protocol you might not like, so you don't do any training, but that also you might change your ethics when you realize you can train this another way once you have the knowledge how to do it. Luring, you know, luring ethically, people get in a right old mess about luring. Oh, no, I'm only going to shape it. Well, I don't want the dog to be dependent on food. Ethically, la da 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 That just tells me that they don't have the knowledge, confidence or experience to be able to use that protocol well. Nothing wrong with the protocol. Another one, uh, we had a lady come to class who, she says, oh, oh I, I never touch my dog. I don't use any hands in training at all. And I'm like... Not even to give affection. Oh, no, no. I'm a hands-free trainer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, And I thought, goodness me. I mean, talk about inflexible ethics, but her experience was such that she only thought touching the dog during training was punitive, i.e. pushing the dog into a sit, pulling it into a down, you know, moving it physically from one place to another. Whereas we know we can use touch with just the lightest of a fingertip touch, and that is just good information for the dog. Yes, it's just, just easy for the dog to understand. Could you just point to what you want me to do with what? And that helps them out. <laughs> so, you know, it's not about I won't use a protocol because it doesn't agree with my ethics. If you don't know about the protocol, you probably can't make an ethical decision on it. 
oh no, I didn't want to do treats. I wanted to do it for the love of it. Mm-hmm. Mm, get that one mm-hmm. a lot. You know, oh, I won't use, you know, and the whole, I never use punishment. Often we know that comes down to not understanding enough about punishment. The one I don't like is setting the dog up to make a mistake so that he knows how to not make a mistake in the future. <laughs> Where is that one? You know, so many. Oh, well, the dog's got to know what's wrong so they know what's right. Oh. How can you know what's right if you don't know what's wrong? Um, no, I don't have to know that that's going to hurt to try it out, to not do it. I can actually see that's going to hurt. And I'll stick your hand in the flame there and see how much it hurts. Then you won't do it again. Okay, dokey. Oh, no, we're talking about single event learning, <laughs> like dogs embrace single event learning from a, a oh, human yes. version of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and single event learning will happen for dogs as well, particularly okay. if it's extremely successful or extremely traumatic. Hmm. You know, they're, 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 their brains are wired to learn from experience. Not just repeat the thing that doesn't work. So ethically, I think if something makes you a little uncomfortable, you have to go and explore why this makes you uncomfortable. It might be that it is contradicting all that you've believed up to that point. It might be that it just doesn't make sense logically. It might be that I don't have any experience of this. I can't make an opinion or decision on about it. But if something's making you uncomfortable, I would suggest you don't do it. Do you have one overwhelming ethic that drives what you do? For me, the dog should always be successful. So those early shaping games, which are still, you know, it's over 20 years now since we really got dog to the dog over here. We didn't get videos until about 98, 99. So all we had was the written illustrations in the back of Don't Shoot the Dog. We didn't even get clickers until 96. You had to use a pen, Baro, that clicked on the top of it. And the idea was that through shaping, you could do successive approximations until you ended up with the target behavior, which has got nothing to do with targets, the goal behavior. But nobody said along the way that if you screw it up, the, the recommendation was it doesn't matter. You just keep going until you get to the right thing. So we saw a lot of dogs in those first 10 years go through horrendous extinction processes because say you were trying to shape a dog to go around a comb without luring. The dog goes up the comb, gives it a sniff, click. Well, it's gone near the cone, hasn't it? God goes back to the cone, puts his chin on it, click. Well, the dog's gone near the cone, hasn't it? But these behaviors have got nothing to do with the final behavior of going around the cone so they have to be extinguished now for me that is unethically stinky there's no reason for us to let the dog fail because we don't know how to set up successful learning mm-hmm. um sorry something else came through that um and using extinction as a process for teaching to me is horrendously harsh. You know, when my dog sees that cone, I want their face to light up, not think, oh no, what is it I've got to remember not to do? Because the minute they have to think about what not to do, you're building in uncertainty to that behavior. So ethically for me, the learner's needs come first. Mm. The tricky thing is when you've got a dog as a learner and a person as a learner, then as a teacher, you have to say, 
what's the most important thing this partnership needs to learn. And often that's what's the hardest thing to take away in the future. So you might often have to overlook something that is not particularly good at the moment because something else needs to be right now because further down the road that will be so hard to change exactly and that's where i when i look at my clients i say to myself you know this dog is in a good place i'm not feeling sorry for this dog in the grand scheme of mm -hmm. things let's uh, let's let's just help this person with this little thing and it'll make a bigger impact later on yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, even though we said, well, as long as it's positive training, it's okay. No, it's not. Yeah. You know, teaching the dogs to sit for every single thing to me ethically is, it starts to get a bit smelly. You know, why should a dog sit when it's in a high aroused state, just because you want to show it off to other people when you greet? Are you with me? That's just a silly yes. thing. Yeah. Uh, that's just a silly cultural thing that's got nothing to do with understanding dogs. I, I, I have a client right now who has a five-month-old border collie and all she wants this dog to do is to not jump on her and well, that's fine just let it jump out there but don't hit me ex 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 <laughs> i might be on that little little path too but um yeah talking to her about I, absolutely yeah but this is the question of she's clear what she wants i don't want this dog to hit me every five minutes which is what they will do at five months yes. old and quite close to your face that's not safe but if the dog feels aroused and happy, do all the jumping you want, but do it out there. Mm -hmm. Don't do it on me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's fine. That's ethically fine. But asking it to sit, please, no. It's, an, it's a porter collie. Yeah. Yeah. What has sit got to do with anything? Yeah. And so <laughs> in, in, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, this may look like uh, this is actually an ethical choice to uh, ethically. It's not fair or kind or ethical mm. to ask mm. a four-month-old border collie to sit all the time well any dog i mean yeah. when you look at the ethically to ask a dog or a person or a child or any animal to do something that is not appropriate for the function of that behavior i.e sit has a very specific function and for my gordon setter she sits because she needs to scratch her ear you know there's no other reason to sit so if i had this great ambition to do obedience and I need or gun dog training and I need to her to sit between every exercise, every halt for presentation of every dumbbell, every scent cloth. Quite simply, I think we'd have ended up getting really that would become a barrier in our relationship because sitting for her is a very rarely offered behavior. She doesn't do it very often whether it's just not comfortable, whether it's mechanically difficult or whether she's never in the right mind to want to ponder the clouds. Yep. It, it's not a common behavior for her. Yeah. Other dogs will sit many times throughout the day, you know, for them, sit has a perfectly good function. So when we ask the dog to do something because it suits the person at a cost to the dog, we have to question the ethics. Let me bring up a, a, a very hot topic right now. It's the Lima protocol. Have you heard it? Least... In, yeah, 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 least invasive, minimally aversive. I, I, but that says nothing at all. I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I saw to judge what's least. Yeah, I saw that, and it, and you know, IAABC, International Association of Behavior Consultants, has embraced that. Yeah. And I, and I looked at that, and I said, least invasive to whom? Define. Well, who's the judge? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, oh, it just it made me very nervous. And who's the who's the judge of what's minim minimally aversive? 
It's the same with the pre-Mac thing, high probability, low probability. Who judges that? Yeah. <laughs> I know. You know, so when we have these descriptive terms that are up to a person to be objective about, they can't. <sighs> they can't. You know, because it's a subjective question of whether something is least. You know. More least than what? Yeah. Lesser. Lesser than what? You know, it's up to that individual animal to consider what's intrusive. So um, every now and again, I go to countries where greeting with hugging and kissing is a common protocol. For them, it's not the slightest bit intrusive to have somebody hug them and go, wow, I'm British. It's incredibly intrusive. (laughs) So what's least intrusive for them is very intrusive for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say the same can be applied for some dogs. Yeah. If you go in towards them to do something with them, as far as they're concerned, back off, woman. You don't come near me. Another dog, it's all over you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the same in a way with the, the border collie that jumps up at the, the person. The person has a right to say, no, no, that's intrusive. Just get off me. Yeah. Give me more space. See, and then uh, I could see somebody from the outside looking, oh, but it's just a baby. Uh-uh. Yeah. Well, oh. yeah. Well, we just mean Italian babies get to hug a lot. And I think, you know, this whole thing about you must remember when you were a child being subjected to ours was Auntie Constance, my father's aunt, having to rub her whiskery chin all over me for a kiss. <laughs> I remember every child. Every time we went round this woman's place, A, she always stank of violets. Do you remember those, you know, the perfume? Oh, yeah. And my parents always had this joke just before they went into the house that made them giggle. She never used to say, use the aspirin. She would always say, oh, we used some aspro the other day. <laughs> it was like, oh, dear, dear, dear. So she was, um, yes, it was always a trick. And, you know, and I had an uncle that used to love to give me change, a half crown coin. But when he pressed it into the palm of my hand, he would have to stroke it at the same time. It was very intrusive for a mm, 40, 50, 60-year-old man to do that to a six-year-old child. Yeah. And did I have any choice? Not in the slightest. Oh, be nice. Be nice. Oh. Be nice. Oh, don't get me started. Raising two daughters in in these time period, I have removed be nice from my vernacular with them. Good. Yeah. It says nothing. It just... Again, it's a comparative term. What's nice to you is not nice to me. Yeah. Boy, how did we get from dog training yes, to raising I, I, daughters? I, wow. Ah, yeah. Yes. Well, it is. It's all, it's, all, it's all interlinked because that cultural views we have of what's right to do with children has changed in 50 years. So my best friend when I was in primary school had long red hair and so many people used to try and touch her hair for luck, you know, touch mm-hmm. something that's red for luck. Um Today, they'd be off to the police station as quick as you can. If you come up to my six-year-old daughter and try to touch her hair, I will, I I will, no, I will ask you to step back and mind your own business. And yes, and if you do it again, then we're we're, we're making a telephone call. Well, you know, the same to me with my dog. Nobody has a right to touch my dog. And even if you ask and I say, no, you still don't have a right to touch my dog. This is an invitation that is up to the dog to choose 
and up to the owner. And it's not up to the owner to say that you might be able to touch my dog. That dog still has a choice. And if that dog does not show me avert pleasure in wanting to be touched, I will not touch it. And yet, you know, as an instructional classes, people get a little upset because you don't cooch and coo all over their puppy when they come in. Well, at the moment, this puppy's not saying to me he'd like to be cooched or cooed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, so I'm not going to touch mm -hmm. you. I'm going to respect your puppy in a brand new environment, being able to be given a get space to settle down and invite kissing, invite cuddling, not to be cuddled mm -hmm. without choice. Oh, totally. Uh, I'm constantly reminding... Well, that's what nothing to do with Lima. No, uh -uh. no. I am constantly reminding my clients that the dog is there to date you, not me. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> to date Jane. All right. Well, yes. I, I think it is another topic that is has limitless potential to talk oh, about. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. And I think that it's important to note that it, it took me, and I, it's a living, breathing document, the ethical foundation. Yes, yes, um, yes. Be willing yes. to change. And I think that the one thing that, you know, we had a, a course recently where, a lot more young people are coming into training now and they are inheriting lots of protocols without knowing the background to them. Mm. Whereas I can remember these protocols erupting and even meeting some of the people that did some of the early experiments, you know, so say we're, we're looking at uh, rate reinforcement and we've got a pigeon in a box and he's being fed pellets or that rat to da 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 or whatever's happening. These are not people that had any ethical consideration, whether this was, a pleasant experience for that animal or not. So if they put a behavior on an extinction schedule to make it, or a variable schedule of reinforcement to make it more resistant to extinction, I don't think they worried about how upset that pigeon would be when they went to bed that night. Cause these are not, these are not the same as you and I, <laughs> you know, these are not the people that had compassion for animals to the point where I wouldn't put a pigeon in a box and make it train. Yeah, You know, it has a right not to be trained. And to the point now where I think a lot of the universities are actually totally shut down all their animal, not experiments in that sense, but, you know, as part of psychology departments, you don't get to mess around with animals now for your own learning. Those animals have a right not to be messed around. Um, now, ethically, if we're using protocols that were devised by the same people that didn't live with dogs as we do, there's going to be some misstep in the process yes if i want to work with someone you know and and trust my relationship with my dog to that person in their training advice i want to know they live with dogs as i would live with dogs mm. good good standard not somebody who just knows the theory of dog training but actually doesn't live with dogs and has probably never trained a dog to do sports training you know, they might understand all about extinction processes and variable shadows of reinforcement. That doesn't mean I'm going to go into a competition environment and use those protocols. Mm -hmm. We had a, the, the situation I'm talking about, we had some um, dog handlers that were given advice from our government to make their detection dogs more reliable. They had to go onto a variable schedule of reinforcement. Now, these are dogs that are going in for bomb detection. <laughs> so the guy, he said, I wonder if you could help me out here. I've been sent this document about how we're supposed to do a variable shadow reinforcement on reinforcing the indicating behavior when the dog indicates a substance, you know, explosive substance. He says, but the lads are a bit unhappy about that. And I said, I bloody well think so. There's no way I want a dog 
giving a bomb indication on a variable schedule reinforcement. Yeah, that's... if he thinks there's something in this room, you evacuate the building. Yes, I, end of story. I, that might be a <laughs> that might be a wonder one situation. <laughs> really, exactly, <laughs> absolutely, and every time as well. Uh, you know, I said there's a completely different thing to training false indications, but that's not the same thing as putting a correct indication on a variable schedule. Ooh. Okay, he says, could you write that down for me? I said, no problem. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, somebody knowing the theory of it and somebody who actually does the job, big gap between the two. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think somebody confusing variable schedule to different reinforcers, you know, variable reinforcers. Yes, variable reinforcers. reinforcers. Yes. Is that yes. what you meant? Yes. Yeah. Quite different. Why? Variable schedule is... Sometimes you reinforce, sometimes you don't, and the dog never knows whether you will or not. So he starts to get a bit browned off because normally when I sit, you give me a treat. Oh, okay, I'll give you, oh, I'll give you the chance once because you know she's getting old and she sometimes forgets. Well, next time I sit, you didn't give me a treat. Okay, okay, I don't like this much at all. So maybe when you ask me to next time I sit, I won't bother at all, or I'll do one and sit and look away from you at the rest of the room. Oh, we gave me a treat that time. <laughs> so that treat comes in just before you're about to totally pack up your bags and leave every time she asks for sit. But the quality of that behavior has been shattered. Shattered, you know, and you'll see it in the way the dog does it. You'll see that uncertainty that really I couldn't give a damn. If I don't know that I'm going to be paid at the end of the week or not, then my work will be the minimum I need to do to get to the end of the week. And not just the quality of the behavior, the quality of the trust. Absolutely. But there again, we go back to the guys with the pigeons and the rats and the boxes and all that. They didn't need the pigeon to trust them. Oh. Yes, there was no bank account there. He was hungry because he hadn't been fed for three days. Oh, that'll get them working at it, won't it? Mm -hmm. So it comes back to ethics and, and the whole question of it. You know, no, I'm not. If I want this pigeon to trust me and come home. <laughs> <laughs> then I will feed it every time it comes home. That's like Dr. Every time it comes home. That's like Dr. Susan Friedman talking about being reinforcement addicts. Would you rather your child be a reinforcement addict or a punishment addict? Yes. Yeah. For more information and some great reading from many contributors, go to Kay Lawrence's website, learningaboutdogs.com. Or follow Learning About Dogs on Facebook. My little plug, if you are looking for a new canine friend in your life, please consider your local rescue, animal shelter, or humane society. Thanks for listening.